We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. Cavaliers out in Cleveland, and who better to break this game down with me is Evan Damerell, okay? Returning guest. You can find Evan's uh, newsletter right down Euclid on Substack, and you can also find him on Locked On Cavs. Evan, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Before we get into this conversation, one more thing. Make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys, Knicks Nation. Come on. And make sure to check out KnicksFanTV.com. I'm doing well, man. Knicks are up game one. How can I not be happy? How can I not be thrilled? Uh, it's, it's feeling great right now over in Knicks Nation. You know, we got to anticipate a game two tomorrow. Got some updated health concerns regarding uh, Josh Hart. So we'll see what tomorrow unfolds for the New York Knicks with regards to him. But I'm in a good position right now. You know, Knicks just defeated the Cavaliers on their home turf in game one. I know a lot of odds had the Cavaliers winning that game. But when the Knicks are starting out the series 1-0 and on the road, how can you not feel confident? No, I... Completely understand that. And I was surprised that the Cavs were, I, I know there are five point, I think five and a half point favorites heading into that game. I was a little surprised that the margin was at least that big. Just because New York is a team that has playoff experience. You have Tom Thibodeau, who is one of the brightest defensive minds and just one of the better coaches in the NBA. I think underrated. And I just think New York across the board is just an underrated team. Like they, they understand how to win basketball games on the, especially on the defensive side of the ball, just because that's Tibbs identity, but also the fact that they're the number two offensive team in the league, like shouldn't have been underestimated. And also it's, it's a four or five matchup. Like I think it's a bit of a crapshoot at the end of the day too. Like you can't just say like, Oh, this team's like the overwhelming favorite heading into a series or a game. It, it, you should take this game by game. And from a Cavs side of things, folks are spiraling a little bit in the fan base and Cavaliers nation a little bit. People are pointing fingers and just criticizing JP Bickerstaff's decision-making or Mm. how everyone not named Donovan Mitchell didn't really show up to the game. And there's a lot of finger pointing and things going around. And I'm just saying, Hey man, I'll be a little more concerned if they go down to nothing heading into the garden on Friday. But if they're able to tie up the series one to piece, 
at least you have a little bit more breathing room heading into the remainder of this series. And you just kind of take it game by game, like I said, and just figure out the next steps. This is a super young and inexperienced Cavs team. And the Knicks just have the right guys to hit the right pressure points on Cleveland. And when I saw that it was going to be Cavs Knicks in the first round, I kind of raised my eyebrows and said, that's not going to be an easy outing. If you were Cleveland, you wish you had gotten Brooklyn, who sure is taking Philly to task in game two currently, but I think if you had to pick between the two New York squads, I would much rather take the Nets than the Knicks in the first round. Well, thank you for giving New York the respect, Evan. You know, uh, we've had Chris Fedor on here, and, and I know Chris has been, uh, he's a great reporter, does a lot of good work over at Cleveland.com. He's been mm-hmm. amping up the, the Cleveland fan base and, and the team so far. So really respect that you're coming through and giving us uh, our props. And look, Cleveland's not going to be an easy out either, although oh, yeah. I think the Knicks, you know, the one thing that when you watch from this series in game one, the physicality is just much different from the Knicks side than for the uh, the Cavs side. I mean, you hear it all throughout today when – you're just hearing all the the reports where you have, whether it's Isaac Okoro talking about physicality, it's Jared Allen talking about physicality, it's Darius Garland talking about physicality. So that's one aspect, I think, where the Knicks are going to have that vantage point. And you talk about experience. The Knicks are inexperienced, too, outside of Jalen yeah. Brunson. Sure, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, uh, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly were part of that team that faced the Atlanta Hawks two years ago, but all in all, this is a pretty inexperienced team. The only guy that's got the most experience is Tom Thibodeau, and that's the guy who I'm looking forward to, and he showed some good stuff with regards to adjustment, rotations in game one, so I'm looking forward to see what he can do for game two. But looking going back to game one, right? What were some of your takeaways from from the Cavaliers' perspective? I I mean, at at the top, you have to look at the offensive rebounding disparity between New York and Cleveland, and to your point, there was a physicality edge that the Knicks just kind of came with, and I think – the Cavs maybe had some of those playoff nerves, especially from Garland and Mitchell, but Allen and Mobley as well. Mobley especially, just between the two big guys that Cleveland utilizes so much. Um, you could tell that they're rattled, but I think the Knicks just kind of hitting them with that physicality and just crashing the glass so much. And it's not even just at the big spot where, yeah, Mitchell Robinson is the best at his position in terms of offensive rebounding. Jared Allen himself said so as much today at practice for the Cavs. And you have to respect that, but it's it's guys like Josh Hart who was just so, super opportunistic in getting offensive rebounds that I labeled him on my own show, a bit of the X factor for the Knicks where you could see Cleveland kind of rolling with the punches at times with New York and they felt good about their chances, especially Jalen Brunson dealing with some foul issues early in the first half. And you see Josh Hart come in and he just kind of wrecks havoc on the Cavs a little bit and just the Knicks took advantage of that and just that physicality aspect was the biggest thing. But in the true nitty gritty of it, it's just... New York kind of just looked like they came prepared. These looked like two teams that had a little bit of time off. I think if you're Cleveland, um, having Isaac Okoro play his first basketball game in nearly three weeks time was evident for sure. And then you factor in the playoff jitters as well. I think that played a factor in it too. And more than anything, it's just the bench disparity as well. Like, New York, when just looking at this matchup and just breaking it down from every angle, like they have a pretty solid amount of depth coming off the bench. You have Obi Toppin, Isaiah Hartenstein, you have um, um, Emmanuel Quickly, you have um, just so many talented dudes, even Josh Hart as well. Oh my gosh, just like those four. And sure, Hart is doubtful, but like Deuce McBride is a solid enough player that he can give you some spot minutes. But like the Knicks have enough quality depth and enough young legs that they can kind of either try to run the Cavs out of the gym or at least in this case, like 
control the pace in terms of just bench unit production. And you're not getting much from Cleveland in terms of bench production. And you really saw from Jetty Osmond, who just provides you three-point shooting, but Ricky Rubio gave you nothing. Um, Karis LeVert was a little bit up and down in this one. Um, Dean Wade looked like he was a little just kind of stunned by how big the moment was. And it instead turned into J.B. Bickerstaff leaning really heavily on his starters, which is to be expected because of how thin Cleveland is to begin with. But New York just kind of has that strength and numbers aspect. And as you said, Tom Thibodeau really did a good job just pressing the right buttons and figuring out like, okay, this rotation's working or he has his finger on the pulse in the right situation to think like, okay, we got to shake this up a little bit or maybe just shift the lineups just slightly to keep hitting the cabs in these right pressure points. And that was just one of my bigger takeaways from that is there's a bit of a disparity just with the Knicks having a lot more young legs and depth on their roster and there's kind of pushing the Cavs in ways that maybe they aren't quite comfortable when they're so top heavy with their big four. And then Karis Avert and Isaac Coral are kind of just round out like the key six guys in this rotation for them. Absolutely. You talk about depth. And that was one of my big takeaways when we did the, when we did the post game uh, at the 4040. You know, we were at Jay Z's 4040 Club doing a, a live event. And number one thing I noticed was when you looked at the stat sheet and you saw the Knicks. It was Julius Randle who had the most minutes at 34. Josh Hart was afterwards with 33. But all in all, you look at all the the time logs, right? All the minute logs. It was pretty even across the board. Like mm-hmm. it was pretty for for the for New York, they were able to keep guys well rested, as you pointed out, because of their depth, right? And then you go to the opposite side for Cleveland. Your top your top guys. You look at Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jarrett Allen. It's about 44 minutes, 43 minutes, 43 minutes, respectfully. And then even Evan Mobley with 38 minutes as well. And you see that, to your point, the Cavs don't have the depth. And especially when you're not going to get anything from Ricky Rubio. You're not going to get anything from Karis Overt. This is, this is where the Knicks can come in and say, all right, we got enough guys to, as you, as you already talked about, to come in and, and really keep everybody fresh. And we even saw that, you know, Randall didn't necessarily shoot as well in the second half. And we saw Obi Toppin come out, knock down a, a, a clutch three. You know, we see him out there in transition, pushing the pace, and even had Jalen Brunson out there as well. And you see, even when guys like Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, Quinton Grimes don't have their shots falling, we still have enough and somebody else to go roll on. And as you pointed out, Josh Hart, who is doubtful for tomorrow because he rolled his ankle at the end of that game in the fourth quarter, and he was able to play through it. Josh Hart was the X Factor, as you noted, in that first game, getting you 17 points, 10 rebounds. But the whole point of this team is that even if they're not shooting well, they can just muck everything up yep. and get gritty and figure out a way to win. And for me, the biggest takeaway against the Cavaliers from the Knicks' perspective was their defense. They were putting a lot of pressure on Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen to be the decision makers. Yeah, we know Donovan Mitch was going to get his. He got his 38 points. But every time you watch Darius Garland bring the ball up, they were trying to trap him. They were, they were ready for the pick and roll, whether it was him, him and Mobley. And they were flashing. They were doing everything. They, they, they even had the drop. They were trying to lure him into the paint. And they were ready. You saw guys help uh, with the help defense, making sure to cut off uh, the passing lane, the lane for him just to drive to the basket, stuff like that. New York came uh, correct when it, <laughs> with regards to their defense. And I think that's going to be the testament to how they're going to win this series. Because offensively, even though they've been such a talented team, Cleveland's a top defense too. So I don't expect mm-hmm. Cleveland to give New York, any easy buckets. You know, Brunson, Randall will be able to get theirs, but for everybody else, you know, it's going to be, will R.J. Barrett show up? Will quickly show up? 
So outside of those guys, that's where I'll see Cavaliers defense trying to hone in on next, trying to see who they're going to make, who's going to be the next X factor, right, for the Knicks. That's, that's how I look at it for Cleveland right now. But Knicks defense was definitely where it was in order for them to get this game one victory. I, I agree with you. And it, it's so interesting to me just like, when you break down the advanced numbers for the Knicks this year, that their offense was actually better than their defense. You're like, huh, that doesn't seem like a Tom Thibodeau team at the end of the day. But you can see a lot of Thibs showing his uh, tenacity and just understanding of defense. And as you had noted, the, the Knicks did a great job of not only just trapping or just roughing up Darius Garland as soon as he crossed the timeline, but also just denying Donovan Mitchell the ball in those situations too, because Garland was looking just to kick the ball over to Mitchell and just say like, okay, I need to get this defensive pressure off of me and kind of reset on offense and utilize myself in off ball situations too. And I think just as the the game went on, the Cavs just gave the ball to Mitchell and said, all right, Donovan, we need you to probe and figure out what New York is doing on defense. And I like you said, he scored 38 points in this game. He was super impactful. I think if clearly if he wasn't in this game, the Cavs wouldn't have had much of a shot in this one just because of how the Knicks dialed things up pressure-wise on Cleveland. But I am curious to see how what does New York do adjustment-wise in game two to maybe not let Donovan Mitchell do so much um on offense, especially if he's kind of figured out what New York is throwing at him in terms of just defensive coverage, especially in the pick and roll. And I don't want to give Knicks fans any PTSD, but you think about how like what Trey Young did uh, in the playoffs against the Knicks a few years ago in just terms of just like figuring them out defensively and the Knicks not making enough adjustments and Trey was able just to do Trey Young things and become the villain in the garden that he is. And I, I'm curious to see if like Mitchell is able to unlock that level in game two. And mm. then more than anything as well, just the the Josh Hart injury does change the optics a little bit here. Like he was a grinder. He was a dude who just happened to be in the right place at the right time and just was getting so many key offensive boards and just getting so many second chance buckets for New York. Like it, it had to be frustrating for the Cavs, especially when they took that lead for a brief moment. Then you just watch Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, the Knicks just kind of snatch it right back away from you because you had to fight so hard to get to that point in that game. So and this is something J.B. Bickerstaff stressed um, after practice on Monday that it's not just on Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to like mitigate these second-chance opportunities that New York keeps getting because the Knicks are really good at getting that, especially Mitchell Robinson. And Jared Allen, again, called him the best offensive rebounder in the league, which I think is just credit to how talented Robinson is as a player. But if the Cavs want to have a fighting chance in this one, they have to find ways to maybe match the Knicks in physicality and just find ways to not allow 17 second chance opportunities and sure New York scored 23 points off of those opportunities, which is better than expected considering it's 17 second chance opportunities, but you don't want to give them those 17 shots either. So you just want to kind of figure out the counterbalance and maybe find a balance of just matching the Knicks and physicality. And I am curious as well, just, okay, Cleveland has now gone through this rodeo of what is like living up these expectations with acquiring Donovan Mitchell being a top four seed in the Eastern conference, having these expectations to get out of the first round and maybe fight with the bucks in the second or whoever Milwaukee or whoever is the victor in that Milwaukee heat series at the end of the day. But now you're kind of like saying, okay, we have to get in front of uh, this obstacle out of the way in front of us. And there's a lot of jitters, a lot of nerves, but now that they've kind of had this feeling out process in game one, maybe the Cavs instead, as you had noted, they are a physical team. They are a team that is comfortable like the Knicks winning ugly basketball games that they have to. I've watched several ugly Cavs games this year and I'm still amazed that they found ways to win it. But do they kind of just ugly and muck this game up just enough that they're able to 
push New York and take advantage of the fact that they're one of the better home court teams in the league and just go into the garden tied up one apiece instead of being down to nothing. It's going to be a lot of tactical stuff. I think it's going to be a lot of small things. I'm curious what Cleveland does with the rotation as well, but you need a stronger response from Garland and Mitchell or sorry, Garland, Mobley and Allen. Uh, Mitchell doesn't need a stronger response. He's plenty strong in game one, but it's going to be a lot of chess moves too. And I think just maybe playing that first game makes things a little bit cleaner going forward for New York or sorry, Cleveland. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And once again, we're talking to Evan Damerell. He is the writer, author for Write Down Euclid. You can find his new uh, newsletter through Substack, and he's also the host for Locked On Cavs. Knicks Nation, make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys, and make sure, as CP said, who do you think is going to step up if Josh Hart is out tomorrow? Let us know in the chat. Okay. So, Evan, yeah, I, I, I hear you on all those, like, on what Cleveland needs to do, match the physicality for the Knicks, and, and you want to figure out does Donovan Mitchell change, you know, how does he, does he adapt to how the Knicks are guarding him? But to me, on the other side of the ball, I think the, the one thing is, will Cleveland be ready for when the Knicks offense does show up? Because you're not going to get this type of shooting again from, in my opinion, from, Quint, from Emmanuel Quickly, Quinton Grimes, and R.J. Barrett. Like, I know R.J. struggled a little bit especially during the regular season matchups against Cleveland because his thing is attacking down the, going down the lane, attacking, finishing around the rim, and you got two seven-footers down there, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, guys who, have, we've, seen, who we've seen previously block his shots. But I think he's going to figure it out and start getting going because even in this game, he still had moments where he was driving, kicking. I like what he was doing defensively. When he was guarding Garland, he was, he was fighting around screens. I thought he was helping very well. I thought he did a lot of other good things well, even though he didn't score the ball efficiently yeah. and effectively as you wanted to see from him. But I see Emmanuel quickly bouncing back, and this Knicks offense, once it starts getting quick, and especially with Emmanuel quickly being able to find his rhythm, knock down his three-point shots, fly out and, and attack in transition as well, get his mid-range jumper and his floater going, I'm curious to see how does Cleveland match that because, look, it was a slugfest. It, it, it's, yeah. it's easy. I won't say it's easy. Uh, I guess it is easy because it's easy to match some of the, like, the intensity if, if no one's hitting their shots, right? Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have Levert hitting shots. You didn't have Rubio doing anything. So it, it was easy to keep that type of, type of game. But if 
the Knicks offense starts clicking. And we didn't even get like a full Julius Randle. You got to think that Jalen Brunson, he got into foul trouble early in the first half. That I don't expect that to happen again. Mm-hmm. My thing is the Knicks offense, to me, is going to come around in game two because I'm looking at Jalen Brunson in this one. He knows what it takes to get to a, to a finals. Like he did to the Western Conference. He was in the Western Conference finals last season. He knows what it takes. He knows you got to come prepared. I know he's talking to his guys right now. He sees that Josh Hart is doubtful, so he's getting his mm-hmm. he's getting his crew ready. Saying, "Look, we're pro- we may be down a man, but we all got to step up." And that's something that the Knicks have been able to do this season, which is, "Yo, we we're missing Mitchell Robinson. No problem. We're gonna step up. We're still gonna beat the Cavs. We're still gonna beat the Celtics. We're still gonna beat the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers." Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, we don't have Brunson. No problem. We're still gonna we're still gonna figure out a way to win. We don't got Randall. No problem. We're still gonna figure out a way a way to win. This team has been battle-tested, something that I've been preaching this entire season. So I'm just ready to see what this Knicks offense is because I think they are going to step up to the occasion if they don't have Josh Hart. So for you, Evan, if the Knicks offense does click like it should, and it's not this brick fest that we kind of saw in game one, mm-hmm. what are you expecting from Cleveland? So breaking down the numbers, I, I'm still surprised Emmanuel quickly was 0-5 from the floor. And I, I, I would assume Cleveland had a full understanding that, hey, he's a front runner for six man of the year for the reason. He is a very good elite bench scorer and just very multifaceted in how he's able to kill you from multiple spots on the floor on offense. And I think the Cavs obviously did a good job defending him and kind of just mitigating his impact. Clearly he was 0-5, but for Cleveland to match it, I think they can't allow New York to play faster because the Knicks are comfortable playing on the fast break. They have a lot of young legs. They have a lot of young guys that can just kind of run up and down the floor and make a Cavs team that moves at the slowest pace in terms of just offensive sets in the NBA. Pretty uncomfortable if they want to match them speed for speed. But if you're the Cavs, if you want to keep New York from kind of getting rolling, and I I agree with you, if you're the number two offensive team in terms of offensive reading in the league, it's natural to assume that the numbers will make sense as this feeling out process continues through the playoffs and the Knicks kind of find spots in terms of just what Cleveland is doing on defense to find easier looks and opportunities. And you're going to see Julius Randle be much more efficient. You're going to see Jalen Brunson be able to maybe not have to do as much if the rest of his teammates step up. I mean, Josh Hart was the most efficient guy for New York outside of Obi Toppin um, just for New York on offense. But I look at it from the Cleveland side of things, you have to, at least hope that Isaac Okoro is able to give you a little bit more juice defensively. He only played 22, almost 23 minutes in game one, but you would assume he's going to spend a lot of the night defending Jalen Brunson, maybe forcing Brunson to get into foul trouble. And as you noted, maybe that doesn't happen, but Okoro is Cleveland's best point of attack defender. He's their best perimeter defender. He was unavailable in the March matchup between Cleveland and New York when Brunson had a career best game just Mm -hmm. across the board. And I think not having... Okoro in that game certainly was a difference maker for Cleveland. And I think maybe Brunson still has like just an absolutely bonkers night. Maybe it was just his night, but at least Okoro would make his life a lot harder and he had to work for some of those buckets too. And you look at how Cleveland just was ineffective in terms of bench production. Like Jetty Osmond was their best bench player in game one. You have to reward that play and maybe continue that just because this is a team that needs three-point production from somewhere outside of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And then Karis LeVert, hopefully he bounces back too. So he becomes... You're six man in this scenario, but you probably punt on Dean Wade, you punt on Ricky Rubio, and you give those minutes to Lamar Stevens, just another dude who's a bit of a dog. He 
kind of just embraces that junkyard dog mentality the Cavs like to roll with so much on defense and it's kind of their cultural leader and he's a guy who's not afraid to kind of grind it out and defend one through five if he has to and find ways to defend just anyone and kind of he understands what his role is and what his assignment could be and he could be like that bigger body as well that they could throw at Brunson at times maybe they let him uh defend Julius Randle on certain possessions. Maybe you see him just act as an extra body to bang up against Mitchell Robinson because Jared Allen and Evan Mobley can only do so much. And like the Cavs just have to get creative and find comfort in being uncomfortable and lean on what got you to this position to begin with, which is the fact that you're the number one defensive team in the league for a reason. And sure, New York is a very tough task because of the number two offensive team in the league, but you can find ways to creatively stymie the flow and production. And as you had noted, like a lot of this does fall on Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle at the end of the day. And maybe if you're Cleveland, you try to dial up the intensity on Brunson a little bit again, maybe with Julius still maybe not being quite a hundred percent as he's coming back from this injury, you lead on that, but like obviously respect him as an offensive threat, especially how he's just able to hit three point shots and make you pay for leaving him open on the perimeter as the Cavs saw in game one, a few times with Julius getting some pretty clean looks and you dare guys like RJ Barrett, who didn't have a great game, but I think played very well defensively, but didn't have a good game offensively. And you dare him to try and beat you. Maybe you still respect Emmanuel quickly enough to defend him, but like if his shot isn't going and he maybe gets frustrated and starts pressing, you lean into that and let him maybe sabotage the Knicks in terms of bench production too. Maybe you look at Quentin Grimes, who was one of four from the floor and wasn't really much of a huge factor offensively and you kind of dare him to beat you as well like there's certain ways to hit these pressure points to maybe just counterbalance what the Knicks do to you in terms of just making you uncomfortable offensively and defensively and just find ways to win and kind of scrap and claw and make this an ugly affair because the Knicks could come out looking more refined offensively the Cavs could too and I think that's the beauty of playoff basketball is both of these coaching staffers are going to be making minor adjustments to what for what they best believe is going to give them the best position to win. And now you're watching two teams that have just really prepared for one another for the past 10 days, make some more adjustments and continue this preparation process. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I'm curious to see just who is the guy who steps up next to Donovan Mitchell for Cleveland on offense. And I'm hoping it's Darius Garland who didn't have a good game for Cleveland. He had 17 points, one assist, uh, five turnovers, and he was 7-13 to 13 from the floor. I think you just need Garland to be a little bit more aggressive. And obviously, he tried to be aggressive. He turned it over five times. And I can't tell you how many points that resulted in. But he wasn't able to kind of find clean shot opportunities. And maybe if the Cavs can utilize him more off ball or use the gravity that Donovan Mitchell just commands, it could get you some cleaner looks on the perimeter and maybe just unlock things on the outside to then on the inverse make life easier for Jared Allen or especially Evan Mobley, who can sometimes flash that perimeter shot, but is much, much, much more comfortable attacking in the paint and just exploiting those match mismatches and matchups in that way. Let me ask you this, because you mentioned Darius Garland, and I was going to get to who do you think has to be that guy outside of Donovan Mitchell to step up in this matchup, right? Mm-hmm. So is that, is that Darius Garland for you, or are you looking for like someone like Karis LeVert to step up to be like that X factor, like how Josh Hart was? So Karis LeVert's also a really good answer, I think, too. Um, LeVert surprised me quite a bit with how malleable he's become as a player and just, like, trying to fit in with this pretty ball-dominant setup with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and just either functioning as an off-ball guy or he's the one who told J.B. Bickerstaff, like, hey, it's not working with me in the starting lineup. Send me to the bench and put, like, I think it was Dean Wade at first, but eventually became Isaac Okoro in his place just because 
it limited his offensive opportunities. But I think it's going to be Garland just because Garland was frustrated, but like wasn't visibly upset. Like he was pretty even keel because he had mentioned heading into this series, like a lot of guys mm-hmm. had told him when you lose a playoff game, it's the worst feeling in the world and you don't know what to do. Or you win, it feels like you win a championship the first time you win it. Like you have to kind of find that steadiness and that even keel disposition. And you could tell Garland was rattled. I think you could also tell that New York's defensive pressure and just kind of turning things up on him like they did, especially in the first half, definitely flustered and frustrated him and kind of killed his flow quite a bit. And I wonder if the Cavs just say, okay, we're going to let Donovan initiate the offense a lot more and find Darius a lot more clean looks off ball to kind of just build that confidence and rhythm. And then you just run this thunder and lightning dynamic that has really worked very well for you on offense all throughout the season. And then you have guys like Karis LeVert who benefits from it. Cause if you run lineups of Garland, Mitchell and LeVert, like sure on paper, it's not great defensively, but at least on offense, like that's three really good ball handlers and guys can attack you in a difference of ways that would make life really hard for New York on defense. And if LeVert is able to benefit off Garland and Mitchell commanding most of the attention, like that's a good third head of the snake there to have. And so I think just in terms of like X factor, like as a bench guy, you know, Levert's that guy. Maybe it's Jetty Osmond too, if that shooting streak just keeps up for him because he was uh, two or three from three point range in game one. But I think it has to be Darius Garland because I, I could tell he was disappointed after just how game one went for him personally and just how it went across the board for the team for Cleveland. And he's hopefully going to come out with a different edge to him. And he was the guy who was really preaching after game one, like, hey, the Knicks came out here and roughed us up. They hit us with a certain physicality we weren't quite expecting. We need to come out in game two and match that physicality Mm. and kind of just maybe take a step above them to really say, like, hey, this is our house. We're not going to let you just walk all over us. And we're the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to show you what Cleveland Cavaliers basketball is all about. And I think that's just – it's refreshing to hear your year four point guard kind of taking that accountability for himself, but also just, like – out of calling out his teammates and saying, like, listen, we can't do this two games in a row like this. To me, I, I think, one, from a player's perspective, yeah, absolutely. You want to hear the, your, your point guard take accountability and know that he's got to play better. I think Tibbs is going to still throw oh, yeah. everything at him. I think when it comes down to what Tibbs wants to do, we already know that Mitchell's going to be able to get his. Stopping Donovan Mitchell is, I mean, not a lot of people can, if at all, stop Donovan Mitchell. If he's not scoring 30, He's scoring 25, and that's still effective from, you know, your guy. So I'm looking at Tibbs putting all that pressure on Darius Garland to see, is he ready? He's young, first playoff series. Mm-hmm. Let's see if he can continue to adjust and figure it out. I think Tibbs is going to throw everything at him in order to keep him off balance, and we'll see if he can keep that. We'll see if he'll be able to adjust. This will be a big test to see if he can adjust because if he can't do it for this game, you know, I start to think comp- your confidence starts to get knocked down a bit. Two games in a row, you haven't been able to figure out your game. That's going to be rough for, for a young guard, especially your point guard of all things. But for the Knicks perspective, I'm looking at Emmanuel quickly to step up. That's, mm-hmm. that's the X factor in this game. I think Randall's going to be stronger offensively. Brunson's going to do Brunson things. And quickly has got to be that guy. Um, shot 0 for 5 in the first game. You know, I've written for KnicksFanTV.com that since December 20th, He's only been in single digits five times. So that, that, that's how consistent he's been as our sixth man. And yeah, I know I can count on defense, tenacity out of him, uh, some playmaking. I expect him to bounce back offensively and really find his rhythm. I think, as you've noted, 
for young guys, they have to fit, they have to test the waters a little bit in, in game one, and that's where you really lean on guys like Brunson and Randall. You know, your your two stars to really do a lot of the heavy lifting. But now that they got one win under their belt, I feel like quickly can now start to get into a little bit more of a groove and, and really show up in this matchup. Yeah. Um. But Evan, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, for for the show and, and and really breaking it down, what do you expect? Who's going to have the big game in Game Two outside of Donovan Mitchell? Before we get out of here, that's a good question. For for either team or just the Cavs side of things? For the Cavs, I think it's going to be Darius Garland because he is a dude who upset obsesses over maybe trying to be perfect in such an imperfect game. And he's okay with like the, the turnovers and situations like that. If he is aggressive on offense and it's getting his teammates involved, but the, the assist didn't speak for it. And I think you're going to see him kind of show some of what makes him one of the better young point guards in the NBA. And as you had noted with Emmanuel quickly, sure, the defensive upside isn't there, but it is a feeling out process for these younger guards and just kind of figuring out what the Knicks are throwing at you defensively. And sure. Tibbs is going to dial up the pressure a heck of a lot more on Garland and probably maybe dare him to try and beat the Knicks on certain plays in certain situations. But I am thinking Darius Garland is going to be the guy who steps up in game two and at least makes life easier for Donovan Mitchell. Or it's just not Donovan Mitchell literally putting his body on the line on multiple possessions to try and find a way to help the Cavs win. And we'll see how the game goes overall. But if Cleveland is able to tie this one up, 1-1 one, one heading to the Garden, they have to feel better about your chances. I think, like you said, the, the confidence aspect will be a lot more bolstered on Cleveland's side of things if they're able to win this game. But it could be anyone's game just because I, I was still surprised that the, the Knicks were kind of just kind of thought down upon across the board in game one. Or I'm like, the, the Knicks are a pretty good squad, guys. Like, pump the brakes a little bit and let's, let's, let's feel this process out a little bit. But I think it's going to be Garland. Do you think it's going to be quickly for game two for the Knicks? I actually think it's going to be Julius Randle's going to have oh, a big game. Good pick. I, th- I think Julius is going to have a big game. I think game one, he came back, started to shoot well in the first half. Um, second half, not so much. I think Randle's going to have a big game this time around. Uh, you know, Brunson got his 27. Randle only had 19, got his 10 rebounds. Randle can do a lot more. He's a 25-10 and 10 guy. I think he's going to have a big game against Mobley just because from what I saw, uh, the physicality against Mobley, you're talking about, He's being out there 38 minutes and Randall for 34 minutes, and you have to gu- you have to guard somebody who is that physical, who can get downhill, who's who's fast. Um, his jumper has just been, you know, it's been solid. You know, it doesn't look great uh, on paper from the first game, but I, I expect Julius to have uh, a big game too after coming back from an injury. He just needed to get back out there, shake off the rust a little bit. I'm looking for him quickly. We have a solid game. Don't get me wrong, okay. but I'm looking at, at Julius to have that big game. Uh, to help support Brunson and show why he got the all-star nod and and should get an all-NBA nod. But Evan, once again, my man, appreciate you coming on. Please let the listeners know where they can find you and if you got anything coming up. So if you like hearing this nasally white guy talk about the Cavaliers, you can find me five days a week on Locked on Cavs. Um, Another nasally white guy, my co-host Chris Manning, and I break down all things Cleveland Cavaliers. We're dipping a lot more into the playoff race as well and just leading up to it and also the series of the Knicks. So trying to give as much wall-to-wall coverage as we can as long as the Cavs are in town. And even when they're away, uh, whether at Madison Square Garden taking on the Knicks when the series flips over to the New York side of things. But you can also, as Alex noted, just check out my newsletter right down to Euclid. Um, it's 
that's all over my Twitter bio. You can my ats uh, am not Evan if you want to follow me on Twitter as well. Try to post jokes. Uh, I, I think basketball is fun, especially this playoff series. We were talking about the I was talking about the Nets early in this one. I can't believe they blew their lead against the uh, Sixers, but imagine being a New York playoff basketball team and not having a playoff win. You know. Hmm. Mm. Could it? Could it be the Knicks, man? Couldn't be the Knicks. God bless. This is a Knicks channel, and I'm a Knicks fan. And to Knicks Nation out there, thank you all for tuning in for uh, another game of the week preview for game two of Knicks versus Cavs. And hey, make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys. Make sure to check out KnicksFanTV.com. And if you want to go watch this game again, if you didn't, if you weren't at the first watch along, the live event at the 4040, make sure to get your tickets now online because you can go tomorrow to go catch game two. All right. All right, everyone. Stay tuned because we got Nick's Weekly up next. We out of here.